today on Ag News Daily. 2022 had a few challenges with uh, a little bit of drier weather. We had some hail go through in, in our area. January 19th, Thursday edition, Tanner in Iowa, Delaney in Hawaii. And uh, we're here in the middle of the afternoon. So it'll be a market close episode today, Delaney. We do. I, yeah, I like kind of recording early in the morning for me, but I understand that that's afternoon for you. <laughs> it is. We can't wait for you to get back here to this winter wonderland that we yes, have so we can get I right know. back on schedule. I've heard about what, a couple, four inches? Yeah, that uh, it was wet and heavy. So some say that it was more, but that's what it looks like around the area here in central Iowa. Of course, some snow totals are higher. As you look north and further west of us, quite a few schools took the day off today in the state of Iowa. So uh, that system will now continue to push east and uh, hopefully not get too bad up there in the Buffalo area. It seems like about three or four days typically after a snowstorm hits the Midwest and crosses over the Great Lake region and dumps some substantial snow in upstate New York. But uh, hopefully that's not the case this time. Did your kids get their school canceled today then? They did. That's correct. So they've had their snow day. They've gotten lucky. Yeah, they're pretty excited about it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm excited to talk about some news today. Tanner, what you got for us? Uh, first step, I have just kind of an update on what we discussed yesterday about the United States deficit and uh, the borrowing levels. Well, Bank of America came out publicly the yesterday afternoon and said that the U.S. is more than likely going to default on their debt in 2023. The analysts wrote a note to their clients saying the U.S. debt default in late summer or early fall is likely. While Goldman Sachs calls the possibility that the U.S. government would not be able to make good on its bills a greater risk now than any time, including the year 2011. Today's entitlement spending compromises 24% of the federal budget, which continues to grow unsustainably. And that's why a small group of House GOP hardliners wanted a significant spending cut in return for suspending the increase on the $31.4 trillion debt limit. As we reported on last week, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was negotiating on this topic during his votes, those 16 different opportunities there. Now 20 conservative holdouts had obtained a deal with him prior to that last vote that he had agreed the House would not move to lift that debt ceiling unless Congress slashes the budget by $130 billion of federal spending. So Delaney, it looks like part of the story that came out last week is now leading to maybe a less likely chance that we will raise that debt ceiling. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that one. Well, Dan, I'm sure a lot of our debt that we owe is, of course, to China. And I reported yesterday on some of their economic GDP growth, but it sounds like they're saying even with the signs showing slower growth in 2022, they are quickly bouncing back from their COVID outbreak after three years of restrictions. The Chinese consumer is apparently fairly anxious to spend money right now, even though things are reopening, which has, they say, really slowed kind of the economic growth that we saw for that GDP. But they estimated that household access savings from three years of restrictions totals about $825 billion of extra jingle in the Chinese pocket of consumers. And according to the China Direct published by the Shanghai office, they said that's going to be really positive for Chinese economic growth as 
consumers are a little cautious to spend that money right now, but long-term that's going to be really helpful for their economy. And in fact, they said specifically, they've seen already sales of health and nutrition products rose 400% month over month in the first half of January. The other thing that I thought was interesting, dishwasher sales were up about 325% year over year. I'm wondering if people didn't have dishwashers and spent three years hand-washing dishes, not being able to go out to eat and thought that's an investment we're going to make. The other one that they commented on here was HDTV sales up 190% for Chinese consumers. So they are starting to get back out there, starting to spend a little more money. And all in all, they've got a lot of extra money to spend, which should be hopefully positive economists say for getting Chinese economy back on track. That's good. Those are some significant increases and it's good to see consumer behavior going that direction. We hope it does not turn into an inflation issue for their nation, which would send them right back to where they had started. Well, the Brazilian government put a report out in a conversation with Reuters yesterday. They believe that it is possible for them to increase their grain planting area by 5% per year without any deforestation. Their agricultural minister, Carlos Favaro, told Reuters that this would occur within a new government plan to encourage the expansion of planting using millions of hectares of degraded pasture land. They will plan to convert this degraded pasture land to cropland. And for this, the government will offer them a credit with the opportunity to finance at attractive interest rates. Brazil currently has about 150 million hectares of pasture that have low productivity signals. That's either considered degraded or degrading. The plan is to convert around 40 million of those into cropland in areas that are suitable for ag production. So that'll be another one for us to follow there as you know we continue to watch supply and demand if they don't have to worry about the effects of deforestation and expand their planted acres, Delaney, that will certainly pump a lot more grain into the supply side of things. Yeah, I saw that story as well. And I think obviously the big shift or question is happening because of course they're switching administrations right now. And President Bolsonaro was largely in favor of maybe not less environmental practices, but he wasn't maybe as conscientious of it as we see this President Lula being today, Tanner. So that could be play a big impact there on that potential increase of grain planting without deforestation. I think we would have seen more grain expansion under President Bolsonaro. Yeah, it will uh, continue to be a storyline that we get to follow. And we'll see if that prediction comes true. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Brazil, we also have an interesting story here or a larger theme going on, I suppose, that as Brazil gets into the field and is likely to produce a record crop this year, soybean crop this year, they're on the short side of bin space capacity as that grain output increases. The 2022-23 crop year could post two records for Brazil. First, they're analyzing about a record 313 million tons of soybeans, corn, cotton, rice, and wheat altogether. And the second crop there, the you know, safrina crop, for example, could in total cause a record storage deficit, pushing them over the edge of 100 million tons. So they're suggesting that on-farm storage only makes up about 15% of Brazil's total storage capacity compared to the United States, which is right around 54%, Tanner. And as you look at that on-farm storage capacity, that obviously impacts what Brazilian farmers are able to store, obviously, then having to go to commercial facilities, which by all accounts right now are suggesting to be pushed way over the edge. 
Joanna Colusi, who um, I believe is at University of Illinois, Brazilian from University of Illinois, said that storage capacity growth since about 2010 hasn't been proportional to the increase that we've seen in increased acres that you just reported there on Tanner. And so only 15% of Brazilian farms have on-farm storage. The other percent, of course, are going into commercial storage settings. And uh, not a positive system for Brazil long-term. They're going to really have to make some increases and some investments in some on-farm or more commercial storage. Uh, Really could be interesting how they handle that this year, though, with exports as well. Will they push all that product that they can't physically store onto the market or will it go elsewhere? Yeah, again, something for us to keep an eye on. And uh, quite interesting that both of those articles came out nearly the same time as they are coordinated. Our listeners in Kansas are going to get a lot more focus on the Ogallala Aquifer. Tuesday, the Kansas House Water Committee met to begin working towards ways to preserve the Western Kansas ag economy. They stated here that looking at the value of agriculture in Western Kansas makes all sense to try and preserve the water sources for as many years as possible. They will continue to push forward in this legislative session. Last year, they fell short of passing a bill that would overhaul the way Kansas regulates water. But this session, Delaney, about one third of those committee members are brand new. And they have the excitement and energy to push and create a bill for the rest of their members to vote on. Members are still taking in the vast information they have about the decline of the levels in the Ogallala Aquifer, the sedimentation crisis in the state's reservoirs, and poor water quality in other portions of the state. But when it comes to water issues, Kansas has had a decade-long decline in the aquifer, which means they need to think long and hard about the solution. They don't want to focus on a decision that will only affect the next five years, but they want it to affect the next 30. So they are excited, like I said, a lot of energy in the House Water Committee on this Tuesday meeting that also carried into today. They are looking to highlight some of those issues and hopefully get a bill drafted before the end of the month to put in front of the rest of their professional cohorts. And uh, we'll see if Kansas can start making a move. They did state here at the bottom of this article, Delaney, that it could be a landmark type bill that may set a precedence for other states that have concern about water issues. That certainly would require a lot of planning and foresight. Yeah, it seems like the goal by the end of the month, just a short 10 days away, would be a very aggressive one. Yes, I agree with that, Tanner. But I think we need to switch tracks here just a little bit to talk about our U.S. commercial crude oil stocks. That's kind of the final piece I have of news for today. And, you know, tying it back to the larger China story. A lot of analysts are forecasting that because, and actually the International Energy Agency in particular is one of them, said that because China is starting to lift so many of their restrictions, they are expecting to see oil and energy demand really start to rebound here over the next couple of months. And we'll see for the second half of 2023, actually growing oil demand, Tanner. But nonetheless, U.S. commercial oil stocks rose by another 8.4 million barrels in the week ending January 13th, putting them roughly 3% above levels typically seen in mid-January. They remain 8% below the five-year average, however, as gasoline stocks rose 3.5 million barrels. And all in all, Tanner, 
we saw distillate stocks fell by 1.9 barrels last week, putting them 20% below seasonal levels as heating oil demand combined with diesel demand kept these supplies tight. Ethanol production also took another recent hit in the Midwest, but looks like it's starting to bounce back a little bit here for the week ending January 13th. Yeah, that is uh, another good thing for us to keep on our trend of Thursday reporting. So thank you for doing that. Last piece I have, just a quick headline again related to water. Lake Mead's water levels is currently three-tenths of a percent higher than originally predicted. So that is good news. That is also a very small percentage. But the rains and a substantial amount of snow in that area is helping the reservoir's water level. They do state that this is only 28% of its usual water percentage for capacity wise during the summer, obviously much lower. So they've stated here again, keeping an eye on what Kansas is able to put together in their legislative session, that the only way to protect the water levels and the people that rely on that water is for a renewed water policy. So that's the last piece I have for today, Delaney. Well, I am out of news as well, except for Chad markets. What do you say? Let's do it. Tanner, we certainly saw an ugly day today in the grain markets as we finished lower across the board here. March corn down four cents on the day, settling at 677. New crop corn closed four and three quarters cents lower at 596 and a quarter. As we look over into the wheat pits today, March, the March soybean contract shed nine and three quarters cents at 1514 and three quarters. New crop soybeans down nine and three quarters cents on the day to close at 1364 and a half. Hard red winter wheat today lost nine and a half cents to close at 8.32. And as we hop over to take a look at the livestock markets today, they also saw quite a bit of weakness all the way across the board. February live cattle shed 85 cents to close at a buck 55.95. March feeder cattle shed $1.62, settling the day at 180.10. And February lean hogs lost 67 and a half cents on the day to close at 67.65. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation conversation for today. Farm Bureau is always keeping busy, whether it's on the state, local, or national level. And joining us today is Clark Dolch, who has recently received the Young Farmer Leadership Award in the state of Iowa. Clark, could you give us a little bit of your ag background and maybe how you've gotten involved in Farm Bureau as well? Yes, uh, I grew up on a family farm in southwest Iowa, Montgomery County, um, raising corn, soybeans, uh, hay, and cattle. Um, Went to Iowa State University, uh, majored in agricultural business, and after college um, was able to purchase 40 acres um, and start my own cow herd, um, looking to get back towards the family farm, had an opportunity to begin my um, career as an agricultural loan officer for Farmers and Merchants State Bank in Orient, Iowa, where I have been the past 12 years, um, have recently changed um, from a branch location to our main main office in Winterset, um, but all along the way, I've continued to grow my cattle herd um, from about 15 to about 35 head now. Um, my wife and I have a few sheep. Um, as I was getting into um, banking and, and trying to become part of the, the county, um, I moved essentially, I'm in Adair County now, as opposed to Montgomery County, where I grew up. Um, so I wanted to get involved. And kind of the first thing that um, 
came to me or presented an opportunity was um, Farm Bureau. Became a member of the Adair County Farm Bureau Board um, just as a director, I believe, in 2012. Um, as time has gone along, it has granted me many opportunities. Um, my wife and I um, were able to serve as the young farmer uh, leadership um, on the leadership committee um, for the state of Iowa, representing District 9 from 2017 to 2020. Um, during that time, I've also worked my ranks up in um, my county farm bureau, uh, where I'm currently serving as president, just started that term here in November. Um, and through um, young farmer activities, I um, was able to apply for the leadership award um, based on my leadership experience as well as my ag experience and was um, selected as one of the three recipients for, for 2022. Um, and I was awarded that at the annual uh, meeting in Des Moines in early December. So what does that mean going forward? Is that, that's not like a county fair princess to where now you have to go on tour or anything, is it? It is not. Um, it is more of a, an honor um, to be to represent um, the young farmers there. Um, we do have an annual um, convention, Young Farmer Conference, coming up here at the end of January. So uh, my wife and I will attend there. I will um, basically be a, um, a spokesman there for the Leadership Award. Um, the, the award is to um, highlight uh, young farmers in, in agriculture and, more importantly, in Farm Bureau. Um, so as uh, it's just uh, another step, uh, an award that I got received um, to help me further my uh, career in Farm Bureau or as uh, even in my uh, banking career um, as, as a stepping tool. So, Clark, as you look forward to leading your county's board this year, what are some of the issues that you guys are looking to tackle? Absolutely. Um, so I, I think a big thing in rural America right now is um, – teaching the, the younger generations where their food comes from. Um, we continue to get further and further away from um, that, that farm base, even in rural America. You know, I live in um, rural Stewart, Iowa, that has a population, you know, between 3,000, but that still being small continues to get further and further away from, from what production agriculture is. So a big thing that we spend a lot of dollars on um, at our local county is um, ag education whether that's at the, at, in the schools um, or uh, 4th of July, um, radio, we, we take a lot of different avenues. So we've, we've really taken a deep dive into that the last, oh, I'm going to say three to five years in, in getting that education um, out to the public. And Clark, to be able to achieve all of these that um, you wish on the board, you have to go through um, some extensive processes, I'm sure. And I'm sure you've also learned a lot recently when you got to travel down to Puerto Rico for the American um, Farm Bureau Convention. What all did you get to experience down there and how will you be able to apply it in um, the upcoming term that you will have? Yes. Um, so as part of the award, we get to represent Iowa um, down in Puerto Rico. We're able to um, represent Iowa down in Puerto Rico at the American Farm Bureau Convention. Um, things that we experienced there was we actually met with all the young farmers and all the members of Iowa Farm Bureau that were down there just as a general get together, talk about the issues that are going on. Um, it's a very casual um, setting, but very much um, interesting to discuss current issues that are coming up in the legislature 
and um, and what's going on in other parts of the state of Iowa. Um, while we were there, we got to hear Zippy Duvall, the American Farm Bureau president, um, discuss current issues going on um, nationwide and and the uh, positives and, and the negatives that's with agriculture right now. Um, Tom Vilsack was also there, but I guess the, the most exciting part of it for me, um, other than the sightseeing and sitting on the beach a little bit, was um, watching fellow uh, young farmers compete at the national level. We had a discussion meet um, participant. Um, there, were, Every state has the opportunity to send one. There was 34 to 36 states that were represented there, and so got to watch her. Um, that is a um, general roundabout um, four to five people discussion, uh, like you're at a kitchen table discuss, discussing a current issue in agriculture. So she had two rounds of that. Unfortunately, did not make the Sweet 16, but did an excellent job of representing Iowa. Also got to um, one of the leadership uh, award recipients each year. Um, if we can tweak the uh, the application a little bit, can um, go for the Excellence in Ag Award. Um, and one of the other um, three re- received that opportunity. Her application um, fit the bill for that, so got to watch her. She made the top ten in the state of Iowa or in the in the nation. So that was a big honor to to support her. And the last thing that I really enjoyed, and this is um, kind of a, a crazy how the world works, is um, a college classmate of mine actually started Chop Local over in southeast Iowa and was um, competing for the Ag Innovation Challenge down there and actually was third in the nation in that in that competition, um, did get some money. Um, but it was enjoyable to sit down and talk with him to discuss his business, how that's changed. Um, we spent about three to four hours sitting around supper one night. Um, so... Uh, there's a lot of leadership and a lot of learning that goes on. Um, there was a lot of sessions and things that we could could go to. Things overlap, um, being at this short time frame. But um, the connections and the and the opportunity to to represent Iowa was um, a, a lot of fun for my wife and I. That sounds like you guys had a blast. I wonder too. I'm sure you get a lot of value out of Farm Bureau that helps you professionally in your ag lending profession. What are things looking like this year for farmers and their break evens? Absolutely. It's a little tougher this year than it has been the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to say in our area, especially 2021 was a super year. Um, 2022 had a few challenges with uh, a little bit of drier weather. We had some hail go through in, in our area. Um, but the outlook for 2023 is still positive. It's a little more challenging um, as we're getting back to more typical things. Um, just having those connections, you know, we still have the younger farmers that are hopefully um, looking to buy land, it's, it's a lot tougher than it was. Um, the capital um, requirements are so much greater than they were five, ten years ago. So working with those, understanding um, being a leader in, in that um, really helps continue our portfolio growth as well as helping the young farmers to get back into rural Iowa as much as they can. Clark, if the listeners want to get more involved in their local Farm Bureau or learn more about how to get involved at the state level, do you know where they can do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, your local county Farm Bureau office would be a first start. Um, every um, county has an office administrator um, that, or office assistant, I should say, that um, would be more than happy to answer your questions. Also, iowafarmbureau.org would be another great place to um, look at the issues um, that Farm Bureau is looking to tackle, as well as contact information for um, regional and uh, county um, contacts. And this has been a pleasure. It's a really quick conversation, but a good overall view of what's going on in Farm Bureau right now. It's fun to catch up with those involved and congratulations to you on your award. We appreciate you hanging out with us.
I appreciate it very much. I appreciate the time. There you go, Delaney, a young leader, obviously, in the world of agriculture that we got to share with our listeners. It's a pleasure always talking with those folks and getting their story to share with our listeners. Absolutely, Tanner. We've been having a little bit more Iowa focus lately, which I sure enjoy, but we're going to turn things back national, of course, next week as we kick things off. And I know we've got a couple of great conversations. Hopefully we'll get played on the podcast here from the conference that you've been at all week as well, Tanner. So listeners do stay tuned for those great conversations coming up here. But Tanner, in the meantime, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.